All right, welcome back to the 30, what we are calling Pro Wrestling's Greatest Game Show here on a Thursday night with the team, the dais. We're going to open up with the co-champions. Dan, the newcomer who wins the title, his first way into this federation. Dan, how are you? Oh, great. This it was so much fun last week. I'm glad I got a chance to come back. This should be a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully hopefully it's not as, as hard as you're, uh, you're making it out to be, but this should be a great time. Well, we're glad to have you, and what a game you had last week. Let's hope you can keep it up. And then there's Mr. Boston, who they call him Mr. President, Big Phil. Big Phil, a co-champion. How are you, sir? Doing great, man. I'm, I'm psyched for the challenge, man. I hope I'm the Bob Backlund to, to Dan's Greg Valentine. I, I prefer to be Backlund in this situation. Well, you're a two-time <laughs> champion, though, right? Two-time. I guess, yeah. Two -time. As Backlund, yeah. <laughs> and Woo! then on the other end is the player, Mr. Benny Scala. Benny's had some very, very solid games in fact, I thought he was going to win the championship last week, but I think the last question kind of stuck him out a little bit. Dan, how you doing there? Welcome to Playaville. I'm coming for the trifecta. This is going to be my third championship. <laughs> and then the final contestant is the great ESO creative, Bruce. Bruce, you had a good game last week. The competition just was stiff. Yeah, yeah, it seems that way. Uh Somehow I feel a little bit like the uh, the Brooklyn Brawler of the uh, of the show for the for the uh, the beginning few weeks of it, but here we go. Let's uh, let's see what we can do tonight, Bruce. This is like the Royal Rumble, dude. You just never know. You might just hey. win it, and then you're in it, right? <laughs> I want to thank everybody for joining us. Okay, question number one. And again, guys, I'll be shocked if any of you are prepared for any of these questions. Uh oh. Question number one. Who is in the devil mask in AEW? As AEW world champion, MJF is fond of saying, nobody is on the level of the devil. On September 27th episode of Dynamite, White was attacked by a group of assailants dressed in all black, one of whom was wearing a devil mask. He's accused MJF or perhaps his best buddy Adam Cole of launching this attack to derail his championship ambitions. My question to this board is, who's the devil and why? And leading us is the co-champion, Big Dan from the great show, Dan and Benny oh, in the no. ring. Dan, you're on the 30. Go! Well... You have to hope it's a big name, it's a debut, it's somebody that's important and that's going to break records and actually bring some numbers. God knows AEW needs it. Unfortunately, AEW's recent booking has kind of led us to think that it's going to end up being more Black Scorpion and less big debut. It's going to be Brother Brutai under the mask attacking Hulk Hogan. Uh, I would love to see somebody... Like, excuse me, I would love to see somebody in MJF's camp that you wouldn't expect, like a heel turn. Uh, I would love to see it be a Roddy or be an Adam Cole who are milking their injury. I think Devil's a little tall to be Adam Cole. I mean, I, I do not buy into at all the stuff that's coming out online that people are saying it's it's going to be somebody like a punk return. And that's it's all been a big work this whole time. I don't give 
I don't give Khan that much credit for booking. But no, I think it's going to be somebody in the Adam Cole and Roderick Strong camp, and that's going to lead to an eventual heel turn. And I'm calling it, I think it's going to be the other way around. I think Adam Cole turns heel and they keep MJF face. There's too much money there. It's going to be somebody in that camp under the mask. Without question, it'll be... It won't be the big spectacle ooh-ah that everyone is hoping for, that everyone thinks it is. I would love for it to be someone like a CM Punk, but there's no way. Uh, and I don't mean him specifically. I mean somebody of his caliber, but there's no way at this point with uh, AEW's recent fizzle. But, yeah, I think it'll be somebody from the uh, the, the Roderick Strong Adam Cole camp. All right, Dan. That's good. good first round. And although I got to tell you personally, if it's any of the ones you mentioned beside Punk – I don't know if I'm too excited about it. That's for yeah, sure. That's like, like I said, I think it'll be more Black Scorpion. All right, Phil, co-champion, you're on the board. You're on the thirty. Go. Well, they say it's better the devil you know than the devil you don't know, which kind of making me think maybe it's the devil we don't know. Maybe they're just kind of running a decoy too, and it's actually someone else, and maybe not a talent per se under the mask. You know, I always wondered when or if Tony Khan was going to um, summon his inner Vince McMahon and become the uh, the billionaire bad boy and somehow inject himself a little more actively into storylines and maybe, uh, maybe bring his own group of people together. So that was one thought that ran through my mind. Probably unlikely, but it would, it would be fairly interesting. Could it be Sting? He's the last person we'd think about, right? I mean, everything says, you know, no way. And, and we really have to think, might it be a person who is directly in the opposite camp right now? And, and I think Sting could certainly fit that bill, too. Uh, I think it's safe to say it's probably not going to be Kevin Sullivan. Um, I know there's some rumblings about Jim Cornette. Yeah. Boston bad boy Kevin Sullivan. That would be a trip, wouldn't it, huh? I don't think he's too old, but... Um, who hasn't been more of a, a devil to AEW than Jim Cornette with his um, slings and arrows and barbs and criticisms and everything else? I, I think he'd make a great devil. He'd be just anti-AEW all the way. Um, just a lot of choices. I hope they I hope they really do something special well with this. Well done, Phil. And good choices. I really like the Tony Khan angle. And then yeah. I wasn't even thinking about Cornette. That's a friggin' awesome angle. Yeah. All right. ESO, you, got, you heard the first two guys. Got a little bit of advantage here. Prep yourself a little bit. You're on the 30. Go. Okay, so first of all, let's get the obvious ones out of the way. You know, we would love to see it be CM Punk. How great of a swerve would that be if they pulled the, the wool over our eyes again? And uh, that, that, would be, that would be one of the greatest works of, of the past, you know, five years of wrestling, if they, if they could pull that one off. So let's face it, that's not happening. It's AEW. Um, let's look at some of the wrestlers who it possibly could be. How about a How about a Ric Flair? Rick, come on, we just signed Ric Flair to a multi-year deal. Why not? Ric Flair has a history of going under a mask. Could be him. Hey, I, um, I'm not sure who mentioned Sting. Sting, he's been under a mask before. Absolutely, there's a possibility it could be Sting. Why not Adam Copeland? We just brought him back. We could just throw him into the into the mix. Or you know, Luchasaurus is already under a mask. Could be him. Um, Realistically, I have no idea who it could be. Uh, Brother Brute, I love that that from Dan. Absolutely, let's let's make it Brother Brute. Here, here's some. How about it's Paul White? 
It's definitely, it's got to be Paul White. It's the giant Paul White. What do you do, shrink show. Bruce? I mean, wait, wait, wait. I gotta, no, it's, it's Mark Henry. It's got to be Mark Henry under that mask. That's that's who it is. I, I don't know. I'm Sorry, I'm banging up here. I'm uh, <laughs> ruining my things, banging on my desk here. But yeah, definitely Mark Henry. Um, Vince McMahon himself. Maybe it's Vince himself coming back. You know, he did it in the, the corporate ministry. Why not Vince McMahon? Elias, I don't know. You tell it's me who's going to be. pulling names now, man. Wow. <laughs> All right. All right, player. Time to redeem yourself, sir. In the final spot. You're on the 30. Go. Well, the first thing that I have to say is that my faith in God has been restored because the minute you asked that question, I thought, dear God, please don't let me get picked first. <laughs> and I was picked last, so, so so far so good. But I got to tell you, host Monty, that this this question is about as exciting as a hand job from Stephen Hawking. Oh, I said, <laughs> I want to get that on the record? So I mean, who could it be? I mean, it could be anybody. Michael Monty is under that mask. It, it, it could be Mike Monty. It could be Jimmy Farrow. I, I mean, it could be Rosie O'Donnell. I mean, she. Like, That's where Farrow is. Maybe, it's, maybe it is Farrow. I think it might be right. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it could be Mighty Joe Thunder. I don't know if you guys remember him from uh, yes. 1983. wrestled four of the most <laughs> horrible matches in the history of the WWF. Even Lou Albano had a yep. way on that one. But, yeah, honestly, it's it's got to be somebody who, when they find out who it is, it's it's got to mean something. So it's got to be something, somebody who has some kind of correlation with MJF now so that when it is revealed, it's like, holy crap. I got to say that, you know, and I don't really follow the product that closely, but um, I would say if I had to make one guess, I'm going to guess it's Adam Cole because that would actually matter. I don't know if that matters, man, to be honest with you. I mean, how come none of you guys thought it could be Britt Baker? That's my guess. Hmm. Right. The devil right? could be a woman. Yeah. Devil woman. Yeah. yeah. And she's defending, you know, Adam I don't know. In, in all fairness, the devil's punches actually looked real, so I wouldn't think it was Britt Baker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got to tell you this. is if It has to be someone, like Phil said and all you guys said, that makes you want to watch this. If they unmask somebody and they shit the bed, it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. All right, guys. Next question. Brian Hebner says AEW has the worst refereeing in pro wrestling. Some of the most common criticisms lobbed towards all elite wrestling are centered around issues with AEW referees. Former WWE and Impact Wrestling referee Brian Hebner, speaking on Busted Open, was quite open about his problems with AEW's officiating. Refereeing is the shits, Hebner said. Across the board, Hebner stated, today's referee make too many mistakes. And it's and said it seems as though too many of them are taught incorrectly or just don't perform their jobs well. And he sees AEW being the worst offender. All right, this is the question, you guys. Is he right or wrong? And why? Opening it up is the player... Get you on the 30. Player, go. 
So uh, refereeing, I'm, I'm going to use an example of what, what a referee is to me. So you go to work every day. Uh, your office is nice and comfortable. Um, for years, day after day, you come in. You know, it's not too hot. It's not too cold. And you really don't you don't really think of how it gets hotter, like why it's perfect. You just know that it's perfect. Well, the one day you come into your office, come into work, and it's 77 degrees, what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to call facilities and, and yell at them. You, you know, not regarding the fact that, like, for the last 2,577 days, you've had a perfect climate in your office. But that one day you don't, you're going you're gonna to let them know about it. To me, that's what a referee is. I mean, a referee should be the same thing. When you go into, when you watch a match, you really shouldn't have to pay much attention to a referee. A referee shouldn't be, they should stay out of the way. They should do their job and, you know, for the most part, not really have anything, you know, they, they should look incompetent in a tag team match because they should always miss that that tag um, and things like that. But um, I, I would have to say I, I've heard many, many things um, uh, along the same lines. So I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with the guy. I, I'm gonna say that the the AEW referees are the drizzling shits. Good job, player. All right. In the second spot, Bruce from ESO. Get you up on the board, buddy. You're on the thirty. Go. Okay, so. Overall, refereeing itself is kind of a little bit of a, of a lost start. When you go back and look at the referees uh, of the past decades, the Earl Hebners, Dave Hebners, oh, even looking back, like let's say uh, Danny Davis, uh, uh, Teddy Long, uh, they were able to be part of the story without overshadowing the storylines. They were able to, able to help progress things. Um, nowadays, you don't see that as much. One thing that I saw recently in an AEW match was how much the referees were going above and beyond to hold the gimmick in place so that it could happen. Uh, they, I, I don't remember exactly what it was, whether it was holding ladders in place so that they could climb up and jump off of it. These things shouldn't happen, especially on camera. Um, I, I think it's a little bit of a, of a, of a lost art. They, they should progress the story without being part of the story. They the uh, the old times. I, I think back. You know, I had no idea who Danny Davis was as a referee until the day he turned on the. Uh, I believe it was the the Bulldogs and the Heart Found when the uh, the Heart and the Heart Foundation won the titles. Those were the those were the days of the true referees before that. Nowadays, they just seem to be uh, just out there. Um, they fall at the wrong times. They take bumps that are unrealistic and disappear for an absurd amount of time. No, just I don't think it was like the old days. I have to agree. I think it's refereeing in general, not just AEW referees, though. Well done, Bruce. Wait a minute. I think with the impossibles just happened. Bruce, you are in first place right now. Wow. I didn't think that would happen. Nice. Good job. All right. Co-champion. The president. You're on a 30. You know the question. Hit a home run. Go. Well, just like they say with kids, not that I agree with this, but kids should be seen and not heard. At least that was the old school way of parenting. Um, I think the same is for referees. They should kind of just blend in the action, you know. And, yes, back in the day we knew our referees, and they were so distinct and unique, and they were often named. But 
At some point in the WW, then F, Vince McMahon stopped referring and stopped having his commentators refer to the referees by their name. They became just persona non grata, just no name, just the official, the official, the official. And I think that's kind of the capacity they should serve. I mean, other than, say, Aubrey Edwards, you know, I can't name another referee in AEW right now. And uh, and to me, I, I think that's how it should be. And, you know, and, and as others have said, they should at their root kind of be incompetent anyway. And that's what makes for a good match to build a good heel, to build that good tension. There should be some degree of incompetency with the referee. So I'm all for that, you know. But um, when we grew up, we knew all the refs, right? We had Scrappy McGowan and Nick Patrick in Georgia. We had Bronco Lubitsch with that slow count and world class, David Manning. We had uh, Dick Worley with that broken nose up in uh, WWF, Danny Davis, of course. Um, a very tall guy, Dick Kroll. That's something AEW shouldn't do is have tall referees, too, because they would tend to stand up. So I think in the sense in choosing body types and that sort of thing, they're Solid good. Solid because... points, Phil. Great round. Great, Thank you. great points. Bringing back the old school referees. It's funny, those referees weren't involved but we knew who they were right yep. and i mean that's you're right you know who they are just shouldn't be heard dan bruce was in first for a second there but quickly phil uh just stepped on his head and squished it <laughs> all right dan get yourself back into this you're on the 30 go 100 percent aw has some of the worst officiating i've ever seen you guys hit it on the head it's you know they're too involved they're overly involved you see moments where they're holding ladders uh especially because the refs don't seem to know where the hard camera is there's so many clips of referees handing blades handing objects ta openly talking to wrestlers it's awful but the worst part from AEW's officiating is they are going to end up getting someone killed just recently John Moxley dropped on his head in the middle of a match. Rick Knox, who you only know by name because of how terrible of a referee he is, just stands there, clearly checks on the guy. Hey, I'm pretty sure he's half dead. Let's him get picked back up. Gets another pile driver on his busted head, his, his clearly concussed brain, and then ends up botching the finish because clearly Moxley wasn't supposed to lose that match. You go back to one of the earliest AEW pay-per-views. Matt Hardy falls off a ladder, smacks his head on concrete. Aubrey doesn't stop the match, lets him go. What the refs are doing, they're missing so much. And, of course, let's be honest, tag teams. Tag teams are awful. Where's the five count after a tag? You watch matches. Where's the count out? You watch uh, just recently. Again, I hate to sound like I'm picking on him. Moxley goes out of the ring. He's out of the ring for over 90 seconds, and they still do the 10 count spot where he rolls back in. They're not counting. They're getting buried. The fans can't follow rules. They are just terrible. Well done, man. Great points. Are the wrestlers responsible, though, for what's going on in that organization? I mean, at some point, the referee should be like, if you can't get back in the ring, I know what the finish is supposed to be. I'm still going to count you out. You would think so, but, I mean, it's the inmates running the asylum. I guess you're right. All right, question number three. The Von Erich family. The tragedies that plagued one of the wrestling's most iconic families would seem like something only Hollywood would imagine uh, to those non-familiar to the Von Erichs. A wider audience outside the wrestling fandom will soon be exposed to just 
and when the Iron Claw starring Zac Efron is released on December 22nd. There's something the movie may not explore, however, due to its controversial nature. Rumors and gossip throughout history have given birth to what they call known as the Von Erich curse, which stems from the gimmick portrayed by Jack Atkerson. Sorry, I pronounced that wrong. Also known as Fritz Von Erich. As he rose to fame during his time in the industry, the man who started the Von Erich dynasty chose to portray a Nazi, wanting to stand out as a heel according to the superstitious rumor that the gimmick cost his family dearly. Feelings on the rumor that Fritz von Erich put the bad juju on his own family just to reach heights as a Nazi villain. Agree or disagree? ESO, unfortunately you're up first. This is pretty tough. You're on a 30. Okay. Go. Okay, I actually have read a little bit about this. And Fritz did. He, he, when he was wrestling as, the, uh, uh, as that Nazi sympathizer, he actually, his family w- was pretty much in the middle of nowhere. He had, them, he had them on like a farm, and he didn't talk about his wrestling career and stuff like that. Um, it was only later on once, uh, let's see, actually even, he had that young son that actually died too, that, uh, uh, that froze to death or something. That's right. And it, but they lived out in the middle of nowhere because he was afraid for his family at that point. And uh, unfortunately, I think the family suffered even be, even before they became famous. They were they were suffering uh, the Von Erich curse because they were living in that that solitary environment away from other other people. Um, as far as Von Erich curse, that that's a it, it's pretty obvious something you know. I'm not a superstitious person, but man, let, let, let's face it. Between the the young kid who I, I don't remember if he was drowned or was electrocuted, and then you know David Von Erich, uh, Mike Von Erich, Kerry Von Erich, you know you, you have to feel really bad for that lone survivor, Kevin, and imagine what goes through his head as yeah, uh, in that in that circumstance. I I couldn't imagine, but those Von Erich boys did live quite a life though. You have to say they were they were probably the hottest thing in Texas. And honestly, that movie's getting so hyped down in in the Texas area that it's going to you know, I I think it's going to do better than people expect. All right, Bruce, good job. Very tough question, very tough to comment. Player. Get ready, get warmed up. You want championship goals, you could taste it. This could be the round. We got you on a 30. Go. I, I think that the, the fact that he played a, a Nazi has absolutely nothing to do with what happened to the kids. I mean, how many how many wrestlers played ethnic heels? We had Paige Von Hess Sutherland on uh, Dan and Benny in the ring. Her dad was Kurt Von Hess, played a, played a Nazi heel. He was uh, actually from, uh, I believe, somewhere in Canada. Um, you know, very kids are very well adjusted. I mean, Ivan Koloff was really from Montreal. I mean, the best of my best of my knowledge, his kids turn out just fine. I, I really think it had to do with the fact that once the kids got into wrestling, I mean, let's face it, you know, Kerry Von Erich, David Von Erich, they were they were the equivalent equivalent of the Beatles in, in Texas. I mean, they were bona fide rock stars. They could have a thousand girls every night, and I think really 
that that lifestyle. I mean, they were making phenomenal money. There are kids, kids. I mean, they they were they were making more money probably than they ever dreamed to imagine. They were wrestling in front of sold out arenas. You know, women were throwing themselves at them. They had any drug uh, available to them at their choosing. I think it's just more that they they got caught up in that type of lifestyle. I don't think Fritz's heel turn had had because I mean, let's face it, he he turned face way way before any of this happened so I, i'm gonna say no to that i can't see what, where there's any correlation great round benny great points really loved it you brought up some really good points well done all right one half for the champions big dan from dan and benny in the ring having yet another great game so let's see what's on you're on the 30 go Honestly, I think it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Was him being a Nazi the reason it happened? No. But the sad truth is, the way he drove his kids, the way he treated them, the way he pushed them, led to it. I'm not saying it's entirely his fault. Obviously, like Benny said, I agree. The world of wrestling is just some people are not built for it in the, mentally. But no, he pushed his children from day one. All of you are going to be wrestling stars. You're going to be the biggest names in the business. It's very similar to Michael Jackson and the Jackson 5, their father basically beating gold records out of his own kids. I mean, Fritz beat and damn near tortured championships out of his family. And the, when the, their youngest son, who was 11, you were half right. He was electrocuted and then fell in the snow and was suffocated. Um, so, I mean, when you have a, you, 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 your youngest son dies and then that just for, forces more of the drive in the family, we're going to overcome this. We're going to show the world we're bigger and better than that. And he pushes the family. He pushes the family. Was it a curse in the sense of, oh, he played a Nazi, therefore he's bad? No, there's been plenty of foreign heels that have turned out fine. And let's be honest, there's people today that support the Nazis that are not leading exactly awful lives. But yes, 100%, I agree. Fritz von Erich, he pushed his children to the breaking point. Whether you want to blame him entirely or not, it's sad, it's true, but no, it is on him. Well done. Well done. Wow. Man, you guys are good at this, boy. Being put on a spot, ask obscure questions, and being able to respond Four guys with really good wrestling knowledge. Kudos. Phil, you're on a 30, my friend. Go. I agree with Dan. This is not the case of uh, a curse uh, from long ago. It makes for a great story. They might utilize it in the movie. But, again, it's the case of bad parenting, I think. Um, if we look back to Fritz, Fritz's father was uh, a chief of police in the town. It's something that Texas town he grew up in. And he used to take Fritz around and organize fights between Fritz and other boys. And the grown-ups would, you know, gamble and, and put their money on the fighters. So I think Fritz started out with a bad um, idea of what a parent-child relationship should be. And, you know, he used to take his kids, uh, Kevin, Kerry, David, to the um, annual NWA meeting in St. And he actually bought a prostitute for Kevin for like his 16th birthday uh, during one of these trips. So, you know, one can argue if that's good or bad parenting, but I mean, we'll use these illustrations to show kind of the dynamic there. And yes, there was a boatload of pressure on these kids. And I think the only way they knew how to 
react or object. And I'm sure they had a mortal fear of him because, I mean, even when they got to be bigger and stronger than he was, I'm sure that fear was still there. And they rebelled in the ways, passed aggressively. They've been, you know, they went to drugs and other things. And um, they certainly had a tight knit relationship. And definitely the death of young Jackie in Buffalo, and when he was only five or six years old, kind of started that Fritz on this. A push to drive the you know the rest well of done the Phil to, wow to glory. that was yeah. some good Von Eric stuff right there boy I could have listened to that for another 30 for sure all right question number four this is make it a break of time gents we've got a Uh-oh. close race very close race for over three years, Roman Reigns has ruled WWE, first as Universal Champion, and now the last year and a half as undisputed WWE Universal Champion, crushing the hopes and dreams of many would-be contenders along the way, including Sami Zayn, Cody Rhodes, Jey Uso, Jey Oso, whatever. On November 4th, at Jewel, Crown Jewel, LA Knight will become the latest fan favorite to take a shot at dethroning Roman Reigns, looking to win his first title since his name was Eli Drake. My assessment, this is uh, L.A. Knight speaking, my assessment is everybody's sick of that. Here's a guy who's got about one title defense every three to four months, four defenses a year, and we're celebrating the fact he's been champion for 1,200 days? You've got to be kidding me. Crown Jewels on Saturday, gents. Give me the case why L.A. Knight will become Universal Champion. Opening it up, the president, Big Phil, right now with 32, behind the leader with 34, but not comfortably ahead of the two other players behind him. We've got a race, gent. Phil, you're on the 30. Go. Well, you know, it's good. It's going to be kind of hard. And, again, I'm playing devil's advocate for L.A. Knight, trying to make a case for him that I don't necessarily believe in. But I can theoretically make a case that, um, yeah, he's no one else has ridden a wave like he has in the past few months, has captured the audience where they're, I mean, responding to his every cue. I think his merchandise is doing very, very well, too. So, obviously, there's something there. And, you know, he's paid his dues. He's been in the business for 20 years, so he's had more time in than Roman, um, certainly. He's got a great look right now, you know. Those work boots are kind of unique. Um, he Does he borrow elements from Stone Cold and The Rock? He certainly does. In fact, a lot of people compare him to The Rock. I think he borrows a little more from Stone Cold myself and in his mannerisms and his phrasing and his inflections and everything else. And and obviously in his attire, his his wardrobe too. I mean, he's a sound worker. Very good. He's got a great finisher too. Um, While he's had a 20 years experience, he's still pretty youthful. And, uh, you know, I think he has the necessary tools. Um, Do I want to see it personally? No. Do a lot of fans want to? Yes. Is this really the culmination of a big buildup? No. Um, you know, if it's going to happen, maybe it will happen on foreign soil. I, I, I couldn't see this happening. Well done, here. Phil. Well done. Putting up a case that there's not really much to put up a case for, right? I think we're all in agreement yeah. there. Dan, 
Tell us why L.A. Knight should dethrone Roman Reigns. You're on the 30. Go. Uh-oh. What the? He's got no sound and no points. <laughs> oh, no. Uh -oh. oh, my God. What? Yeah, Someone turn on your mic. Turn on your mic, Dan. Hail. Okay, there he is. Oh, was I was I quiet? Uh oh. Well, that'll hurt. Okay, let me start over. So I agree with him a hundred percent. No, no, I'm serious. I agree with him a hundred percent. We're playing devil's advocate. No one thinks L.A. Knight is going to win the title, but let's be honest. There's three things you got to look for: money, money, and money. If I'm TKO Holdings, I want money. L.A. Knight pops the ratings. He's been the number one merch seller for I think three months now. And you're in Saudi, and, and the Saudis are going to give you – they're in Saudi Arabia. The Saudis are going to give you that money. If I'm going to put the belt on anybody that I think I can make a lot of money off of right now, you strike while the iron is hot, you put the belt on L.A. Knight. If I'm doing that, that would be the only reason. Plus, let's be honest, if you're going to end up bringing someone, say, like The Rock in to, to go against Roman at Mania, that doesn't have to be for the title. You, you, you can start thinking about – imagine L.A. Knight versus Cody promos, L.A. Knight versus Seth Rollin promo offs. You've got a lot of money that you can build around an L.A. Knight championship, even if it's one of those things where he wins the belt and then drops it back to Roman in December or Thanksgiving or whatever. Even if he's only champ for a few weeks, you get that spark. You get people talking. You make money. L.A. Knight is really the only star well, they have well right done, now. Well done, Dan. The muting hurt, though. Lost some points there. We tried to get you. Great job. All right, player. You're on it. This is a tough one. Why should we give the title to L.A. Knight? From my count, looks like 28. That puts you 10 from a tie, 11 for the lead. You're on the 30. Go. Let me talk to you. Um, no, I, I am going to go against the grain here. And uh, I got to do that. Um, I don't think it happens. I, and... One of the promos that that uh, you missed the point. You got to give why he's going to be champ. Um. Okay. If if it, I honestly think that the guy is a fan. I think he's more sizzle than steak. But if if he does get the title, I mean, I can see like Dan said, he is he is riding the the wave right now. His merch is popping. The crowd's popping for him. He's he's really and he's good in the ring. Don't get me wrong. I think. It's more hype than anything else, even though the guy has paid his dues. Yeah, maybe they give him the title, uh, but it will not be a long-term thing. I, I see him, if, if they do give him the title, and maybe it's because that was one of the deals that they made with the, the uh, Saudis, is that at least one major title has to change hands. I Honestly, I, I can't see it happening because I don't think there's been enough of a build to end Roman's reign. But, I mean, I guess if they're going to do it, He's the guy to do it with. They will make money. They, they need to ride the wave. I do think eventually his popularity is going to wane, and it's going to be fairly quickly. So, yeah, I guess capitalize now, strike while the iron's hot, and then um, give, it, give it back to Roman. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> well done. Wow. Well, by my calculation, there's a 39-39. Phil, you're at 38. Guess what that means, buddy? You go into the land of Miss Toys. We'll talk Thank to you, you later, Phil. <laughs> Bye, guys. Take care. Good game. See you later, Mr. President. Wow. <laughs>
He was Phil was great tonight, man. Unbelievable. Yeah, ESO. You got a mountain to climb, but not that big of a mountain. You can do this. You're on the 30. Go. Because he is L A Knight. Yeah. Who is the hottest <laughs> promo in wrestling today? Who sells the most merchant? Hottest rising merchandise in WWE today. It is L.A. Knight. That is the reason he's going to take that title from Roman Reigns. He's going to end this 1,200-plus day reign of Roman Reigns. Not really, but if we have—if that's the argument we're making, let's let's face it. Who who's hotter? There's no there is nobody else you could put that title on that could take it to the stratosphere that Roman Reigns is going to or that L.A. Knight's going to take it to. Let's face it. That means that if he takes this title, that means Roman Reigns has a really really big offer in Hollywood that he has to go and fulfill. What's he going to do? He's going to be following in Rock's footsteps. At some point, he's got to drop that title. You know, I don't think he's going to make that number that Hulk Hogan that fourteen hundred day run that Hulk Hogan had. This is his, this is L.A. Knight's chance. This is L.A. Knight's only time. L.A. Knight is a flash in the pan. If he's going to get the title, it's got to be now because I don't see him staying relevant for the next few years. Let's face it. He's not a, he, he's not Roman Reigns. He's not Cody Rhodes. Cody is the future of this organization, not <laughs> L.A. Knight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bruce, well done. You came up just a hair short. We got to send you off to the land of Misfit Toys. Later, guys. Wow. Well, we've got both co-hosts of Dan and Benny in a ring. You couldn't have set this up any better. Wow. What would the championship question be? Well, here it comes, and it's going to open up with the champ, Dan. Dan, okay. are you Let's ready? Let's do it. All right. Absolutely. What did Steve Kern mean to pro wrestling? You're on the 30. Hold on. Getting set. And go. Well, I got to start with the cheap pop. Dan and Benny in the ring will be interviewing <laughs> Steve Kern next week. So this is a huge question for both of us. I think... Honestly, he is one of those guys that he is the guy. How many of you have watched matches, be it with his phenomenal tag team work, be it with the Skinner character, who I actually really enjoyed in the early days of the WWF job era, you know, where everybody seemed to have a career to their gimmick. And you watch this guy, and you're good match after good match after good match, but he's never – if you were to ask – grab 10 fans at random and say, hey, which one of these pictures is Steve Kern? They may or may not know. But the thing is, he's the guy. He is a workhorse. He's a He is exactly what you need. We, we had an entire series of uh, uh, ep episodes on Dan and Benny in the Ring where we talked about the importance of people like underneath guys and the importance of workhorses, your Davey O'Hannons, your Dominic Danucci's, guys who were never going to be the major star in the stratosphere, but they put on the good matches that you needed every week in order to run a successful wrestling program. If you were to pick uh, a Mount Rushmore of your workhorse men who could be in a good tag team, who could be in a good singles match, who could make gimmicks like Skinner work, Steve Kern is definitely on that Mount Rushmore. That's what he meant to wrestling. Well done, Dan. You sold me on Steve Kern. I wasn't a fan, but 
I'm still not a fan, but, you know, got me close. <laughs> All right. Playa, got this opportunity to take the belt from your tag team partner. You could have the heel turn right now. You have the possibility to throw Dan through the proverbial glass window at the barbershop. You're on the 30. Go. You know, I the, I think part of the problem is people don't really know Steve Kern. And um, Steve Kern was a standout territory wrestler. Um, he wrestled as part of the fabulous ones with Stan Lane in Memphis. They won gold everywhere. Um and he was he was an icon down in his native Florida. One thing people don't know is that for a while, when when uh, Vince McMahon Sr. was looking to replace superstar Billy Graham, and they they chose uh, Bob Backlund, most people don't know that Steve Kern was given very serious consideration to be to being that guy that came up to New York and dethroned Billy Graham. Uh, and he had he had it all. I mean, he was he was excellent in the ring. He was very very good on his promos. Probably a lot more a lot better than Backlund was. And uh, believe Steve Kern's dad was a war hero. So I mean, it would have been the perfect setup for Kern to come to New York and and dethrone Backlund and uh, dethrone Graham. But they they chose Backlund, and I don't think it was a bad choice at all. You know, as far as Skinner, I believe that was the gimmick that he wanted. But you got to understand something that. Back in that era, I mean, nobody came in with their name anymore. Barry Windham was the Widowmaker. Kurt Henning was Mr. Perfect, and so on. Um, so he came in as Skinner. I don't think he did a bad job with the gimmick. Um, but, yeah, Steve Kern was a, a solid Well, do you guy. hear the glass? You just threw Dan through the window. We've got a new champion. Well done, champ. We'll see you next week. Well done, everybody. Another great show.